Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, today is extra extra, extra special because I'm sitting here with Chris Cook, well, actually via video, and which is just the second best thing to seeing you, Chris, because knowing you and being a friend of our family is just such an honor to be sitting here and interviewing you. And I am a huge fangirl of your podcast (laughs) interview. And I'm going to talk about these in a moment, but they've really shifted in my, my mindset. So thank you, Chris, for being on the show. Tina, it's an honor. Like I said before we hit record, I'm Team Tina. I love everything you do. So it's an honor to join you. It really is. I appreciate you, Chris. So Christopher Cook, for those of you who don't know him, shame on you because he is an amazing, (laughs) amazing man. And Christopher Cook is a leadership coach and a business consultant to both Fortune 1000 and nonprofit organizations. Additionally, he's the host of Win Today with Christopher Cook. In fact, right now, just go down and download Win Today and stop listening to me right now (laughs) because they are so good, Chris. Oh my God. I've been sending so many of your episodes over to so many people and it's been shifting and changing mindsets. Um, His podcast is available weekly. Um, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and other outlets through his work at wintoday.tv and is a featured writer, oh, fangirl of Success Magazine. (laughs) It's my favorite magazine. I get every single issue every single month, and we're going to talk a little bit about an article that you wrote here in a moment. And he serves as a guide to help people design their roadmap to wholeness from the inside out. And I love that, Chris, because I believe that this is going to be called Be Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, which aligned in so many ways because I teach a lot of uh, classes on how to be healthy, for instance, and I I use a balance wheel, right? Mm -hmm. And so how to be balanced or whole or healthy, I like to say be healthy professionally, physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. So just going through your roadmap to wholeness. In fact, you give it for free and you can download it from his (laughs) podcast. So go do that right now, print it out, stop what you're doing and print it out because I just started the 31 day guide to reset, refocus and refuel. But Chris, tell us the journey of how you got to this place in the beginning. I love that question, Tina. Quite honestly, this wasn't just a good idea and something I thought, oh, the market needs this, or here's another tactic to become the best version of who you're created to be. My story comes from a lot of pain and a lot of loss. And to make the story condensed and concise, suffice to say, after a lot of personal loss, um, my mom battled cancer for 18 years. And as a family, we fought it with everything we were. And uh, she unexpectedly took her last breath November 21st, 2012, Um, very unexpected. And because that was the majority of my life, my identity had been wrapped up as a caretaker and in that situation and my expectations had been dashed for a healing here in this life. And nine months after that, while still in the process of uh, deep grief 
I had really begun to experience severe anxiety every single day, um, no less than 15 severe panic attacks every day. Nine months after her death, I was diagnosed with um, a medically incurable autoimmune disease because my immune system crashed because the the uh, the level of trauma. Well, Tina, Tina, by that point, I just said, I, I can't do this. Well, like, I don't know how to live. And um, it wasn't until a full year after that that I said, I, I've got to make a change. Something's got to change because here's the deal, Tina. Life was moving forward and I wasn't. And I think oftentimes it's easy in life to take the negative, painful circumstances of our lives. And if we're not careful, we create an identity out of what happened to us. And I think what happened to me is eventually in 2014, I heard this deep voice inside of me say, hey, is the purpose on your life greater than the pain of your past? And I had to make a choice in that moment. And I'm sorry, my voice, as I told you, I'm just getting my voice back. So if my voice is a little rough today, uh, I apologize. I've had laryngitis for the last week. But um, anyway, 2014 came and I had to make this decision. Is the purpose on my life greater than the pain of my past? And it's not to invalidate the pain that I had walked through. It's just to say that, you know, the pain of regret someday was going to be greater than the pain of making a change. And, you know, we all experience pain in life. But we just can't create an identity out of what happened to us. We can't find sufficiency in our deficiencies. And I was doing that. And so something had to change. And so um, two more years of intense counseling and a lot of work, soul, spirit, body, um, I started to feel the, the key turn in my life. And eventually I, I really decided, you know, that I – I can't keep this message to myself. I discovered something in my own journey to wholeness that I believe could help other people. And so I started the blog and then eventually that led to the podcast, which led to writing for success. And so today, Tina, mm. the passion and the purpose of my life is to help people discover their personal identity and more specifically receive their, their God-given identity, a specific identity. And then in the second motion, it's to help people bolster their emotional wellness. And then in the third motion. It's to help people optimize their body health, their physical health. And what's interesting is it's, it's not one at a time, but instead it's all three in an integrated synchronous fashion. Because as you said, we are spirit, soul, body. Uh, I can pound the kale salad and the green juice all day long, but if what's eating me from the inside out is fear and shame and guilt and unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness, the good things I'm putting in my body are not going to have a lasting effect on my total wellness. And in the same fashion, I could be happy as a clam on the inside. And I wrote this in, in roadmap. I could be happy as a clam on the inside and everything is going well. But if I'm pounding down the quarter pounders and I've had a, you know, I'm having a love affair with ham every day, like that's not going to do my body good either. And so we really have to think about ourselves um, from the spirit, soul, body perspective, we are one person, but there's an integrated nature to that. And so it's not to say I don't have bouts with anxiety still. It's not to say I am totally on the other side of it. But what I do know is that number one, nothing is wasted in life. Number two, I'm just unwilling to quit. And number three, I give the rest of my life for this message because I have seen 
exponential results in every area of my life as a result of pursuing wholeness from the inside out. So that's a little glimpse of my story. Wow. And, and you know what's crazy? I don't even know what the percentage is, Chris, of the amount of people that do not pursue wholeness from the inside out. And, and I don't know if you even know what the percentage is of people that do it because most people aren't going to go there. And I'm right. so blessed because my mom is 84 years old and, and I just led her to the Lord and uh. starting to get counseling right now, you know, intense counseling, which I'm so proud of her to do that because it's never too late to begin again and to watch this transformation because this is called the B series untold stories of leadership transformation. And, and you've got some untold stories in here. And I know you've been telling a lot of your stories, but it's interesting because you said something that, and I was thinking of my mom, that life was moving forward and I wasn't. That's right. And you, that was so key because I believe that most people and the people that are listening to this right now, and you got to send this to someone that, that you know that needs this because you're moving, life is moving forward and you are not. What was that really distinct moment? Was it when you started the intense counseling or must have been before because why else would you step into the counseling? What happened in that moment? It's, uh, it's, it's something that actually happens to everyone every single year and it's, it was my birthday. And I had realized that when my birthday came, I went, oh my gosh, another year. What am I doing with my life? What's happening? And again, I want to say, folks, if you're listening right now and you've walked through or are walking through seemingly insurmountable obstacles right now, I want to say this to you. No one is invalidating the pain of your past or the pain of your present. But again, folks, the day that you decide that the purpose on your life is greater than the pain of your past is the day you're going to take that first step into wholeness. And so, Tina, for me, it was my birthday. And I said, oh, my gosh, because, Tina, after the death of my mom, you know, as a family, I was a little boy, like a really little boy when this all started and it moved into adulthood. And so the majority of my life was this one thing. And there was an expectation of healing in this life and it didn't happen. And so there's a huge gap between expectation and reality. She died 18 days after my 30th birthday. The 30th birthday is supposed to be this milestone, this marker of, you know, transitioning into a new season of life. And for me, it was a whole lot of pain. And so uh, it, was my, it was my 31st birthday that I went, oh man, because Tina, because of the pain, and can I share actually the, the cycle of pain that a lot of people encounter yes. and experience? Because I think this could resonate with, mm -hmm. with the listeners. All right, so folks, we all experience pain, loss, hurt in life. We all experience a sense of dread in life for various reasons. It's inevitable. Typically, the reflex that comes after that, Tina, is that we insulate our heart and we self-protect because once we experience pain, who wants to experience it again? So right. we self-protect and, and, and in so doing, we isolate. Now, here's the thing. Isolation does keep bad people, bad circumstances from our life in part. But what we often don't realize because we're looking through the lens of pain is that isolation keeps us from good people and good circumstances. And as a follower of Jesus, more specifically, the healer himself. The motion therein is that uh, as a result, I suffocate and I atrophy the potential on my life. It'd be like tying a rope around my arm, Tina, cinching it tightly. The circulation is going to be cut off and all of a sudden I'm going to lose motion. I'm going to lose um, 
movement in my arm because I've atrophied it, because I've suffocated the life out of that limb. And we do it to our life. We suffocate and atrophy our purpose. We suffocate the life and truth of God's word, his spirit, um, the truth of our potential through limiting beliefs. As a result of that, the typical recourse is to turn to shame and blame. In other words, if there's a person in our life, we turn to them and say, if you would have loved me, you would have let this happen. We do that to God himself. That's where blame comes into play. Here's where shame comes into play. Because we all make mistakes, Tina, in life. And, and guilt is, is a natural response to that. But shame transposes guilt, which says you made a mistake, and shame says you are a mistake. Mm -hmm. So then the recourse, we turn to shame, and then here it is. The cycle just repeats itself because once we've turned to shame and blame, we feel more pain, more loss, more hurt. We self-protect and we insulate our heart even more. We isolate ourselves. We suffocate and atrophy our potential even more. We turn to shame and blame even more. And so really, on my birthday, I was recognizing this cycle that had been perpetuated in my life and I had a choice to make. And that choice began with one simple word, folks. And if you're listening today, I want to encourage you. There's a powerful word available in the toolbox of your life, in the toolbox of your purpose and potential. And that word is simple. It's short. The word is help. The word is help because vulnerability and authenticity and going to someone who is in your corner, who knows you, who's willing to challenge you, but also believe in you. And call you to the carpet, but also say, hey, I see the gold on your life. I'm going to keep you in line with your purpose. We need those people. And, and through the simple word of help, and that's what, Tina, that's what I did. I called the six closest people in my life, and I said, help, help, help. Because there's a huge difference, Tina, in life between being victimized and living as a victim. Yeah. And I didn't want to live like a victim anymore. I couldn't. My purpose, my potential, it was all at stake. Again, back to the very statement you made that I made. Life was moving forward, but I wasn't. And there are too many people, Tina, that go through this life through their 30s and then their 40s and then their 50s and they're posting on their Facebook wall, I'm alone. Mm -hmm. No one understands me. It's not to invalidate the pain, but it is an invitation to throw off the outer garments, so to speak, of fear, shame, guilt, regret, and bitterness and rise up. Because, Tina, the moment that we decide that our purpose is greater than the pain of our past is the moment that we also have to take responsibility for our life and make the decision to live life not through the lens of victimhood, not through the lens of what happened to us, but instead to say that which was meant to destroy me will be used for my purpose. Folks, too many of you listening right now are afraid to look in the mirror and see your scars. But scars tell a story, and that star that excuse me, that story proves that healing has come to your life. Don't be afraid to look in the mirror. Those scars are not an indictment upon your purpose, but instead they tell a story that you were unwilling to quit. Yeah. No, this, this is so, so powerful. How do you, first of all, two questions this is twofold. How do you know if you're living in that victim mindset? First of all, like what are some clues with that? And second, talk through the process of going through therapy and just tell people right now to stop thinking that it's bad to get a therapist. And how do you find a therapist and why should you have somebody to walk you through that process? Cool. So we'll take this. We'll take the two part question one at a time. 
the two telltale signs for me of when someone has decided to live as a victim is most expressed in two motions. They self-protect and they self-promote. So there's an aspect of self-preservation to use the, the analogy of an orphan. Orphans hoard resources because they're not afraid that there's going to be enough tomorrow. So people hoard relationships. They get really reclusive in their own world. They start to believe their own male for too long. The narrative that they're telling themselves is setting up a belief system from the inside out, and then they live as if that belief system is actually true when it's not true. You know, if, if we don't manage our inner world, it's going to eventually manage us and take control of our life. And so that's where we have to really arrest the, the uh, negative emotions and um, the limiting beliefs. And I actually want to say this to clarify what I just said. Negative emotions in and of themselves are not bad. We too often demonize the negative emotions, but negative emotions, I believe, it's kind of like a, a phone call that you're getting from your soul to say, hey, something's going on. I need help. You know, when you're feeling an overload of anxiety, you just need to stop and, and, and do some self-care and some soul work and ask, where did this start? When's the first time I believed uh, that I was unworthy of connection, of belonging, whatever it may be, you know? On the other side of, as I said, was self-promotion. We believe our male so long that we have to exalt ourselves because we believe that's the way life works. Well, when we do that, we're, we're actually sabotaging ourselves because no one likes self-promotion. So, yeah, and, and as I said, it was the metaphor, or more specifically, the analogy of wearing a cloak, so to speak, of fear, shame, guilt, regret, bitterness. And we normalize dysfunction, we normalize pain, and victims of life wear a coat of what happened to them for so long that their true identity, their purpose and potential is indistinguishable from that which happened to them. They wear the coat in every circumstance of life and um, it just becomes part of who they are. So I'd say that's the answer to the first part. And then um, correct me if, if I'm missing the second part of your question, but how do you find a counselor? I think that's yeah. what you asked. Yeah, and why should you have a counselor? I just think yeah. it's so important, you know? Yeah, um, I'll actually go to the second half of the question first. I think if you're even doing fantastic in life, everyone needs to talk to someone. You need a mentor. You need a counselor. You need a spiritual director. Tina, here's why. And I'll make it simple. In life, we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Mm. We don't know what we don't know. We need someone. One of my favorite questions, I have a mentor with whom I meet every single Thursday night. And my favorite question to ask Dave every Thursday is this. Hey, Dave. What's something that you know about me that I don't know that I need to know? And so all of us, to answer your question, Tina, all of us need a counselor. All of us need a mentor. All of us need a coach in life. How do you find one? Well, I, I think this is the, this is the power of, uh, of leveraging your relational equity. Who are the people in your life that you trust, that are trustworthy, that are further along in life than you are, that have demonstrated character and integrity because it's not like you go out and, and, and talk to a friend who's you know life is a wreck and say will you be my mentor well no <laughs> find someone whose life is firmed up 
by character and by integrity, where their, their talk meets their walk, where the fruit of their life is excellence, where the fruit of their life is consistency of character. Reach out to those people and ask them for, for their time, maybe for a weekly meeting or maybe a biweekly meeting. You know, in the case of needing professional counseling, if you're a believer of, of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you know, I think I really recommend you find a Christian counselor mm-hmm. because the, the foundational philosophical basis is going to be the kingdom and not uh, theory and reason and worldly philosophy. I think that's, uh, that's an important thing to remember. But to that, to that, uh, to that motion, yeah, I would say just, just do some research. They're available for sure. And ask, just ask people. Yeah. What was the greatest thing? Like, what's that untold story of transformation that you received when you started going through intense therapy? And I love that you said intense therapy. So what did you mean by intense? Oh, that's a great question. What I meant by intense is that I had to be willing to show up, meaning this wasn't just going to be a venting session where someone showed me sympathy. I think sympathy is the counterfeit of compassion. Sympathy keeps us locked in our circumstances. Whereas compassion comes in and says, I I see your pain. I'm with you presently in your pain, but I'm not going to allow you to create an identity out of the pain. So when I said intense counseling, what I meant is it was going to require work. I wasn't going to just talk to someone and, and you know, very um, truthfully share the pain of my past. But I had to be willing to show up and do the work. Was I willing to create new belief systems? Was I willing to allow more specifically the Holy Spirit of God to come into the deepest part of my being, which is my spirit, my broken spirit, bring healing and wholeness because here's the thing tina and maybe a lot of people listening right now would resonate with this pop psychology contends that the deepest part of our being is the soul our mind our will and our emotions but i don't believe that's true i believe that the spirit is so why i say we're spirit soul body not body soul spirit i actually have meaning behind that Mm -hmm. and When we go through painful circumstances of our past, it's like having a a cistern or a well that has a crack in the bottom and you continue to pour fresh water in it, but that leaks out the bottom and we need to get fortified and heal up in our broken spirit so that we can address emotional health and emotional wellness. And again, I just want to reiterate, if you're listening to this conversation with Tina and me and you're walking through pain right now or have walked through pain, Neither of us are invalidating what you've walked through. In fact, I want to sit right now and say, I'm so sorry. Whomever's listening right now, I'm so sorry that you've had to experience the pain, the loss, the trauma, the crisis that you've endured. But friend, your purpose is still alive and you cannot create an identity of what, out of what happened to you. Mm. And so I said intense counseling because Tina, I had to be willing to show up and do the hard work. And Hard work is not an overnight job. It was setting a benchmark of X, Y, Z for the next month, and I would hit those benchmarks. And so that's the, that's the process of what I meant by intense counseling. It required work. I wasn't going to just vent. Mm-hmm. Venting was part of it. Don't hear, don't, don't hear me wrong here. 
venting is part of the process, but venting must lead to transformation. Ooh, that's good. It, yeah. yeah, it has to lead to transformation or else yeah. we just keep repeating the cycle and we live as a victim. Mm, yes. Wow. That's so powerful because I feel like there's just so many victims out there, but they just don't know what to do. And that's why I love your 31 day guide to reset, refocus and refuel your roadmap to wholeness. I can't believe sure. it's free, first of all, because <laughs> already digging into it, I feel like I'm already getting that intense counseling <laughs> going on. Sure. Sure. Because it is, it, it's, it's deeper than that. It can't be on the surface. You've got to go deep because we're, we're spiritual human beings, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And you said something so big uh, with Dave, your mentor, which, which I love this. And this is something I'm going to do. So my action plan is going to be asking my mentor, Hey, what's something you know about me? I don't know that I need to know. I mean, it's a big how, question. how'd you think of that? Well, I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm a very curious person. I've always been curious since I was a little boy and um, maybe it lends to what I do as a, as an interviewer and, and that kind of thing with the show, but I'm obsessed with ask, asking good questions mm-hmm. and I want to know things below the surface of, you know, what, what one would typically ask. And so I thought to myself, okay, we all have blind spots. I don't know what I, I don't know. I don't see my world as it is. I see it as I am, but other people see me perhaps in another light. And so for the person that knows me, perhaps best for the person that has access to every area of my life, I'd love to ask that quality question because they could provide, and let's go back to the statement I made earlier, Tina, they could provide information that when applied to my life becomes transformation. Yes. Information alone won't change your life, but applied information results in transformation. And again, if you're a follower of Jesus, I've just described repentance, metanoia, the about face. It's not just a change of mind. It's a change of direction. That's what that does. Wow. What was, what was the biggest thing that created transformation for you with that question, whether it was with Dave or another mentor, what was something that just they, someone said to you that just like, oh my gosh, I've got to take care of this right now. Mm. One of the things that was brought to my attention is that I didn't believe in myself enough. Mm. I had given voice to the inner critic too much and I had silenced the potential that he saw in my life in various areas. And so as I began to get unstuck, so to speak, I began to sense not only passions, but competencies rise to the surface. I'm like, where did this come from? Well, when I was getting whole and healed from the inside out, that which has already been there and had always been there in my true identity began to come to the surface. And then I said, oh my gosh, I now have an opportunity to pour rocket fuel on these things. One of which is my executive coaching. Tina, I am obsessed with organizational health. In fact, I've designed your roadmap to wholeness and I have a whole marketplace business edition where I go in and help organizations discover the spirit, soul, and body of their organization and really what keeps leaders from being true leaders And it's been remarkable to see what's happened. I have a client right now. I'm on my second 
program of an eight-week custom leadership development program that I've written for them. And these people are leaving the meeting in tears because they're realizing that they're leading through fear, guilt, shame, regret, bitterness. We're getting to the root of false identities. We're healing um, those broken places. I'm bringing a lot of neuroscience into it, which is, is the passion of my life as well, and teaching them about how deeply implanted cellular memories from the past, undealt with, will create the filter through which they see their life. And so, yeah, not to be super long-winded with, uh, with my answer here, but, you know, all these passions begin to rise, rise to the surface. And so uh, that's what was made possible. Wow. Okay, this is so powerful because I feel like it's totally going into our next segment, which was your article that you wrote for Success Magazine. And it really, yeah. really hit my eye. And when I saw it, because, you know, I, my biggest target market that I coach for the most part, I, I coach a lot of people, but I coach mainly salon owners. And and I believe that everything rises and falls in leadership. And I know you do too. And we're going to talk yeah, about that's right. That that's right. But I didn't realize that came from my bad boss days when I was a bad boss. And I still have mm. moments, of course. But it came from exactly what you said, from my mm. own shame and blame, that, own, that cycle. And I think we could even stay on this for hours of what are limiting beliefs, you know, what's causing that. And most people don't see that we're human beings, right? Yeah, and that's not right. human doings. And I think what happens is, and I see a lot of salons, what's happening is the fact that there's a lot of walkouts. And so what happens, and you, you address this a little bit in your four keys to effectively dealing with a bad boss. You, you can download this. From <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a great article that, that Christopher wrote. And I want to dig into this because I believe, and I do coach a lot of stylists to help lead their bosses. So I'll have my students call me that say, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know what to do. Most people just text quit and just quit. And I, I just I want to stop that cycle, that vicious cycle, because I want to train my graduates how to effectively lead their boss. Because I believe if you can do that and you can stay in the game, that's what a couple of my team members did for me. They they stayed in the game with me, even though mm -hmm. I wasn't leading them well, they stayed there, they were consistent. And now they're my top people running all of my companies. And one of them, Sean, who I'm partnered with and uh, in this business of this next level salon leadership business, which is really, really amazing because he did these four things <laughs> that we're going to talk about. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sean's a good Sean's a good guy. Let's give a shout out to Sean. I know Sean. And Sean Sean's a good guy. So Sean, if you're listening, you're awesome, dude. I love it. I had one of my graduates say to me the other day, she said, Tina, Sean is anointed. <laughs> and I said, yes, he is. He is very much anointed. He has that intuition, I believe, mm -hmm. that you talk a lot about on your podcast, which I think is really, really neat, uh, Chris. And, and so I, I want to talk about this because, you know, first of all, um, you most likely you don't know if you're a bad boss because I didn't even know, right? But second right. of all, stay in the game, how to effectively lead a bad boss. And I love the article because you said in it, um, you know who I'm talking about, the bosses who are non-communicative, political, wishy-washy, narrow-minded, <laughs> the ones who don't possess an ounce of true leadership within, right? And mm -hmm. so staying in the game. So first of all, why did you write this article before we dig into it? Where did this stem from? 
Well, I mean, not to be too vulnerable, but I wrote this from personal experience. Yeah. And at the same time, what I wasn't looking to do, and as a professional writer, I think I always have to check myself, and this is just me being real. We have to make sure that we're not writing from a position of, of venting, but instead dealing with our issues and then gaining the learning experience and writing from the learning experience. Like I don't write to bash someone. And so, but honestly, uh, this came from personal experience and I have had incredible leaders in my life and I've had a few that uh, weren't so great. And Tina, what I began to realize is there was actually a thread between some of these bad leadership qualities. And I'll even say that even within the bad boss, I believe there is a potential of greatness if that bad boss has a teachable spirit. And so as we dive into this content, I'd more specifically love to talk about bad, bad leadership qualities and um, then the listeners can distill that down however they need to in their own life because if a bad boss has a teachable heart and they begin to apply some self-awareness and some self-knowledge boy powerful things can happen and so yeah this came from personal experience to be honest with you and i said i i want to change i want to be better i don't want to be reactive to this situation that i can't control but instead i want to respond from the character and integrity that drives me from the inside out, I refuse to talk badly about this person. I'm happy to, you know, like I, I tell people, I'm unwilling to do anything illegal or immoral, but stupid I will do with a smile. Because if I've been asked to do something by someone who has uh, authority over me, I may not like it at all. And I've not liked a lot of things. But one of the things, Tina, that I recognize years after this particular incident happened is that no bridges were burned and I have moved on through opportunities with character and, and integrity. Chris, I just love it that you said that you never burn bridges and, mm. and I'm not going to lie. I never burned bridges with any of my bosses in the past and I feel really good about that, but I have burned a lot of bridges with a lot of my staff. And as I look back, I'm not, I'm not proud of that fact. I have a lot of regrets of the way mm. that I treated some of my employees. I was one of those type of leaders that we like mm. to call a title leader. I led with, hey, I'm the owner, do as I say, right? Yeah. And right. the authoritarian model, which we know is just devastating and horrible, and it's not even uh, godly, you know? And so sure. just kind of really learning through that process after I became a John Maxwell coach really opened my eyes and, and you know, you can't change what you're not aware of. And so just so being able to do that. Yeah. It's been a real huge shift. And, and right. so I want to talk through that because I believe, I believe the true test of character is leaving a place better than you found it. And I coach a lot of my uh, graduates and they'll call me and say, Hey, um, I've got this horrible boss. What do I do? Walk mm -hmm. me through this process. And I thought, I got to call Chris Cook because he wrote this article. He's basically <laughs> saying step by step, this is what you do. And as I watched some of my big leaders, the way that they treated me, Chris, it helped me to make a lot of shifts. And I 
honor them and I'm loyal right back to them. I'm making them part of my businesses, which I think is really, really neat. And so I want to walk through that, Chris, because number one, you said is to stay consistent. And I love that. And in your article, you said consistency will build rapport with your team and earn their trust for the long haul. Talk through that process because I've seen that uh, firsthand with my leaders in my company and that's what put them in a leadership position because of their consistency. Yeah, I, I really believe that consistency, Tina, is the key to victory in life in really any area. And I've found in holding various leadership positions and even how I coach executive leaders in the consulting space today, I tell people that people don't follow you because of what you say. People follow you because of what you do in response to what you say. And I, there's just something, if we survey politics and survey America today in the marketplace, and dare I say, even the church, we're in a huge gap for people who are consistent in their character and in their integrity. You know, Tina, I, it it sounds like we could oversimplify this, but it's the old adage. It's the old principle of do what you said you're going to do. Yeah. It's, a, it's being a piece of, uh, excuse me, it's being a person of your word. Mm. To illustrate the point, I remember a story I heard about Warren Buffett, you know, in Berkshire Hathaway. And what happens when you're consistent is you build trust. And anyway, Warren Buffett locked a multi-billion dollar business acquisition deal on a handshake. Typically, in a multi-billion dollar acquisition, it would require a ton of due diligence and a ton of litigation. But because he's such a man of high integrity and high character, the person with whom he made the deal, they shook hands and the deal was done very quickly. And obviously there was a lot more in, involved, but the point sticks. Consistency of character, consistency of integrity, consistency of behavior in response to your character and integrity is going to build trust. You're not going to have to over-explain yourself. And I think the underlying principle I want to share with everyone joined with us in this conversation is that what consistency does is creates efficiency in your business. You know, Tina, as a business owner, one of the things that hampers forward progress is inefficiency. And inefficiency at the end of the day is is money because the more time we spend on workshopping things and working the deals it, like that's time time is money and if we can become more efficient uh, we will be more profitable at the end of the day i believe now just in the case of our character and integrity i, I just think it's not that hard and we just need people to show up and do what the, the, they say they're going to do period yeah. Talk to that, a person that's, you know, man, my boss is lousy. How can I stick? Give me some tangible ways to stay consistent because I, I agree with you. And the fact, as I think about when I was that lousy boss, which I'm mm -hmm. still a work in progress, I'm not going to mm -hmm. lie, is the fact that, that those team leaders that I had, they did stay consistent. They did their job really, really well. And they were mm -hmm. so coachable with mm -hmm. me. Even if I didn't coach them correctly, they would step back and write things down and they would follow through. Mm -hmm. And, and, but, but they also were consistently, you know, really generous with me and very kind 
with me. They held me accountable in sure. their way. And so how can you give advice to hold their boss accountable consistently? What would that look like? And what did you do? I love that question. I think the way to do so requires, and, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, number two, which is don't take it personally. So here's mm -hmm. the thing. Let's say you have a bad boss. You're working for a bad boss. I've worked for a bad boss. And it's, it's really, really demoralizing. And it's discouraging. But at the same time, if you recognize that your consistency is going to just get the job done, because here's the thing. We don't, let's say something shakes down in the business and now there is a power differential in place and it's a he said, she said type of thing. Listen, your consistency of, of your character, your consistency in keeping things in writing, your consistency of showing up and just doing the work is going to prove true. And so um, very practically, here's how it will look. If you're working with a bad boss and um, I'm going to coach you to stay consistent, what I'm going to say is stay consistent in being on time. Stay consistent in delivering on what you said you're going to do. Stay consistent. Here it is, folks. Stay consistent in communicating via writing primarily. Here's the deal. If you've got a boss who is manipulative, who's insecure, who flies by the seat of his or her pants, who's emotionally unstable, dare I say, if you have a paper trail of communication, you don't have to defend yourself. So keep things in writing. Keep consistent. And then here's the thing. When you keep a paper trail, when he or she comes back to you and maybe is a little accusatory and says, I told you to do this. What happened to this? You can say, hey, respectfully, um, Bob, <laughs> Sheila, uh, here it is. This is actually what we discussed. You don't have to say, here, I told you this is what I've done. No, just, just send another reminder email or deliver in paper and say, well, actually, here's respectfully. Here's the paper trail. Here's the conversation we had. If there's a change in your desire, let me know. But I just want to let you know that I have been consistent and I have followed through. And um, tell me what I can do to help remind you of our previous conversations. Listen, Tina, it's happened on more than one occasion to me because I've kept a paper trail. I'll be honest with you. It's a little fun and you get a little rise because I get ticked off when I feel like I'm being manipulated and treated poorly. And there's a little something in me that rises up and goes, all right, I'm about to prove it to you. But yeah. you know, it, they come back and they're like, Ooh, there's egg on their face. And the goal folks is not to expose your boss and expose their, their um, inconsistency. That's not the goal. The goal is to protect yourself first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Second of all, um, any leader around the organization is going to see your consistency and it's yeah. going to pay off. So that's, that's, I'd say the simple date today ways is just be consistent, show up, be on time, have a good attitude. Yes. No. Again, as I said earlier in our conversation, I will do nothing immoral. I will do nothing illegal, but stupid. I will do with a smile. Yeah, no, that's and good. it's not fun, especially if you know, like me, I'm, very driven, very systematized, very disciplined, very organized, very structured, very type A. And so I've worked for someone in the last um, couple of years who was very disorganized, very, very emotionally driven and very insecure, <laughs> very hard. Uh huh. But you have to know who you are on the inside first, folks. Earlier in the conversation, we talked about having your identity founded upon your purpose. Well, it's 
it's not to say you're not going to run into these headache situations, but it is to say that when you know who you are, whose you are, when you're operating from an identity that's free from fear, guilt, shame, regret, bitterness, self-promotion and self-protection, you have nothing to prove. And I think that's the overriding point of consistency for me, Tina. Folks, you have nothing to prove. Let your character and integrity speak for itself. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think consistently growing yourself and, and saying, hey, by the way, I took this class. You should take this class too. I remember Monica, one of my staff members, she would walk around with John Maxwell books all the time, you know, and I had never even read one of those books. And I said to her later, I said, why did you never just hit me over the head with one of those books? <laughs> like, well, I kind of wanted to, you know, but she didn't. She just stayed the course. She stayed consistent, you know, just really, really finding out what was in my heart, what was my vision. And those people that, uh, that I'm talking about, they would sit down with me, Chris, and just say, what's your vision for this company? Yeah. How can I help being consistent about, hey, hey, why don't, why don't you let me coach the staff? You shouldn't mm -hmm. do this. You're the owner, right? I should coach them literally what they probably wanted to say was, Hey, you suck at coaching. So mm -hmm. let me do the coaching. And so they did, they, they continued to consistently, you know, get into my path and really take ownership mm -hmm. of that. And so later it, it paid off, as you said, it, it paid off for them. And they, these people have been with me for years. And I love that you said with number two, don't take it personally. And you oh, said, yeah. article, deal with the issue, but do so professionally, tactfully and assertively in writing. We just talked about that. Then mm -hmm. follow up. This was important. Follow up face to face where the core value for the relationship can properly function as the bridge to healthy, constructive communication. Because one of the things that I love that Sean always did, he would say, Hey, Tina, uh, can I meet with you five minutes every week? Because we didn't have a set time. Now we have set times that we mm -hmm. did really, really well, but there was no set time. And he would come in with a pen and piece of paper and he would just say, share with me why you handled it that way. So share with me, well, how would you like me to handle it? Exactly. And he would write things down and, and then communicate back and forth. How did you do that so well? What other advice do you have? I think it starts with a value for relationship. A lot more is available to you when you have the relational equity. Here's the thing. Let's go back to the thing. Like we're all going to have a bad boss at some point in our career. But on the flip of what I said earlier and kind of joking like, yeah, I'm going to prove to you that, that what I did is consistent, right? Because we all, we all have those moments. I, on the flip of it, what I want to say to you is, Folks, you may not have any idea what's going on behind the scenes in, in your bad boss's life. Maybe they are going through crisis, tragedy, loss. Maybe they are just riddled with anxiety and fear about their own potential. Maybe they're not sure that they have what it takes. Right. And it's the bigger person of character and integrity on the inside, sort of like Tina just shared, that can sit down in face-to-face -face communication and ask questions like, what's your dream? What are you afraid of? How can I help assuage those fears? What's the best way I can add value to, to you today? How are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? Here's the thing, Tina. I'm going to share a stat with you. And, and the latest stat is actually more than I thought it was. But suffice to say, 85% of all communication 
of meaning is nonverbal. That's why I really wanted to make sure that people understand that the face-to-face interaction is really important because a face can tell you things that a word may never tell you. And on the flip, as much as I said, keep everything in writing, you do need the face-to-face because we can overemphasize, misinterpret what we read in an email. Like, let's say I typed an email to you, Tina, and in it was a question. Tina, who do you think you are? Now, if you're having a rough day or you're overextended and under stress, you could take that as an assault or an attack, a taunt, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it could keep you locked in fear or shame. But actually, maybe what I meant, and of course, this is context, you read below and above where that question came, but maybe the question came in this way Tina, I believe in you. Who do you think you are? Reach into your purpose. Discover who you are. You hear what I'm saying? And so that's why the face-to-face, the relational equity is so important because we could be sitting in a conference room, Tina, and I could send you the same email. Who do you think you are? And if we never follow up in person, oh my gosh, you could think something that I totally did not mean. But if we're sitting together and I'm leaning in and there's a smile on my face and my eyes are locked on you and I'm saying, Tina, who do you think you are? That's a powerful, powerful question of identity and invitation. And so at the end of the day, like I said, relational equity not only covers a multitude of sins, but it builds the bridge to deep, meaningful trust. Because again, folks, yes, we all have bad bosses, but don't underestimate the pain in someone else's life. It's not to make excuse for bad behavior, abusive behavior, dare I say. It's just to say that when you can separate yourself from the circumstance, in other words, you can separate your identity, your worth, your potential, and your value from the circumstance at hand, as hard as it may be, you can then extend grace to someone who may be very, very um, ungraceful, if you will. Yeah. No, that's really powerful. And I, I love that you said that, you know, have you really asked them? And I, and I like that question is, how are you doing? Is there anything I can mm-hmm. do? Like, that's so genuine. And so even just stopping at the end of each day, how are you doing? Is there anything I could do for you? How are you doing? Like, you know, can I take you to coffee? I can tell you on the show of uh, one sure. hand in 21 years, the staff that has taken me to coffee, very few, but the ones that have, I mean, I honor them and mm-hmm. you know, I'm loyal back to them because of sure. the fact that they sat down with me and genuinely want the best for the company. And, and yeah. you know, we're kind of like, as, as owners, we're just looking to see who's on our bus all mm-hmm. day, who's on my bus. And you're right. Those limiting mm-hmm. beliefs kick in because we're human. Right. And so looking back and, and thinking about with the process, I used to just really suffer with major anxiety because my husband and I, we mortgaged everything we mm. had to build our companies. And I know I work with mm. salon owners they do the same thing. They mortgage every penny they have. And if that business goes under, they're going under. And so the anxiety is just so, so high. And I think when I look back at the, the staff that stayed with me, 
through the hard times and, and, you know, really like struggling financially in our companies and them just staying by my side and just saying, mm -hmm. how are you doing? And one staff member said to me, she said, I'm really glad you're sharing with us that you're struggling financially because now I'm in a place of understanding why you're acting the way you're acting. Mm -hmm. And so that was really huge for me because, and she's still working with us still mm -hmm. today. And I think back just how much I honor her that she allowed me to be vulnerable and transparent as well too, because you know, that's the best, best leader is to be authentic, vulnerable, and transparent, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so but you've got to have that team beside you that's going to allow that to happen. So that's why I love this article so much. But mm. I want to dig a little deeper on step two, because not taking things personally, boy, that, like you said, that's really hard. So it's really hard. That's taking things personally. And, and let's say I, I've been coaching some of my graduates, you know, I never get a thank you. I feel like nobody um, really notices mm -hmm. anything that I'm doing. And, you know, I feel like I'm being attacked, mm -hmm. right? So talk to that process, that person right now that is taking things personally. What does that look like? Hmm. Well, I, I think it starts with recognizing that if you are consistently taking things personally, you need to do an audit on your personal level of self-worth value. In other words, a person without a secure identity in who they are outside of their performance, their worth and value is contingent upon the attaboys. It's contingent upon good performance. In other words, mm. if I perform well and I hear about it, I am good and it fills my tank. But if I perform poorly, if I make a mistake, when I'm controlled by fear, shame, guilt, mistranslate making a mistake to say I am a mistake and so we are on this this kind of rat race this mouse wheel if you will of making sure that we're getting the attaboys but that is futile guys that is absolutely futile you've got to get a sense of value and more specifically kingdom identity from the father himself regarding who you are and whose you are from the inside out so that yes when you do everything you do as unto the lord and you are working hard and you are getting results it's it's really exciting to have good results but it doesn't define you brene brown has this statement that she makes that i think is really beneficial she said that she approaches relationships assuming that everyone is doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. And that's really freeing mm -hmm. because I'm not perfect. I have blind spots. I have mistakes. I'm really motivated to become the best leader I can. I, as I said, I, I read Maxwell all the time. I read the old greats. I study leadership. I ask the questions. I listen to the podcast. I look to apply it in my own life. And it's not fair for me. This is hard, guys. Listen, especially if you're like this. It's not fair to impose those same proclivities upon someone else. Ugh, gut bomb, right? Yeah. I know that's hard to hear, but it's just not fair. If we approach our leader, especially if they're a difficult boss, with the mindset that, you know what? 
I believe they're doing the best that they're capable of doing. I, I believe they're showing up and doing the best they can. Man, that paves the way for a lot of grace. And what I would encourage you to do is continue to grow, continue to learn. And then here it is, folks. Mm. What leads to transformation is just not is you not just spitting out a bunch of leadership jargon. It's you assimilating the leadership truths and then demonstrating it through your life and through your character. We talked about it a moment ago about consistency. Well, guess where I learned the tricks of consistency? John Maxwell. Yeah. And even if you're in the case of having a bad boss, your consistency and doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time, <laughs> which is all the time, is going to prove something. Again, we just have to be careful, Tina, um, to not be too idealistic. I don't think it's fair. And I'm preaching to myself because I am very idealistic at times because I, I'm hard on myself. I, I want things a certain way. I'm very disciplined. I'm very structured. I'm very intentional about growth and um, being disciplined and organized. But mm -hmm. I just don't think it's fair to impose that upon, a, upon everybody, including a boss. Yeah. And that's really hard for me to say because I, I want it different. But guys, we live in a world with people who are in process. Mm. End of story on that one. Wow. It's okay. not easy, Tina. No, it's not. It's not. And especially, I think it ties in with number four, um, being careful to not talk bad. Yeah. And this, I don't mean to sound like a platitude, but our words create our worlds. Mm. If you're a follower of Jesus, Proverbs says that life is, and death is in the power of the tongue. That's powerful when you think about it. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and we're going to eat the fruit of whether we sowed life or death. And so get into some neuroscience here and just some physiology. This is really interesting. I don't know if you've ever studied this, but I did a study a few years ago that when we speak, our tongue hits the roof of our mouth, and that tapping, so to speak, creates a physiological response in which chemicals are released in our body. So if we're allowing negativity, strife, and just junk to come out of our mouth, that is going to tell our body to do something. That's crazy, right? In the same way, this is why I believe in declarations and affirmations, it's, it, but it's got to come from a healthy identity. I think it's really important to finish the sentence, so to speak. So here's an example. Is it okay if I, if I preach a little bit? Yeah. Okay. I can't figure out how this is going to work out. This situation is just terrible. This disease has taken over. My bills are too high. Folks, finish the sentence. My bills are too high, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This relationship is driving me crazy. Folks, finish the sentence. But I know that my best days are ahead, and there's something I can learn in this. And I'm looking forward to the fact that either this relationship is going to level off or I'm going to learn something that I can take to the next relationship because I'm committed to be the best I'm capable of becoming. Here's another one. I'm sick and tired of waking up sick and tired for the umpteenth day in a row. I'm sick of not having energy. But I believe today's going to be a better day because I, I got adequate rest. I'm going to exercise today. I'm going to make sure I fuel my body with nutrient-dense fuel and food. 
I'm just not giving up today. Folks, finish the sentence. <sighs> so good. I love that. And, and that's what I've been working on doing is just the minute that I want something bad to come out of my mouth. I mean, we live in Michigan. We could easily walk out every morning and say, ah, it's snowing. Or we could say, oh, wow, it's snowing. This is beautiful. Like I can mm -hmm. see, feel this fresh, crisp air. Or we could say, I'm freezing. Right. And, and that's just huge because I think what happens, Chris, is we get, and I, I do this too, because the more I'm around negative people, I'm going there with them. That's why I love your uh, roadmap to wholeness. So you definitely mm -hmm. go to it's chriscook.is.com, correct? Yeah, folks, if you just go to win today, W I N T O D A Y.tv, win today.tv. Um, Nice. That's where you're going to find the resources. And of course, the podcast is in the same name. Yeah, I love that. And definitely, I'm definitely going through that 31 day guide. And what I love about it is you can join your private Facebook group and see sure. you speaking. You can see the Chris Cooks <laughs> live. Yeah. Facebook live in there quite often. So I think that's really, really awesome. And just, just the prayers that you have for every single person too, Chris. And I'm really enjoying uh, looking into that group and I'm really enjoying being a part of this 31 day journey with you. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. And what last piece of advice would you like to give everyone today on the call? Just don't quit. Mm. Just don't quit. You know, life throws stuff at us and the unpredictability of life and the people with whom we interact is tough sometimes. And I get it. And I validate the pain that maybe many of you are walking through today and saying, Chris, all these leadership thoughts are great, but you just don't understand. My friend, you're right, I don't. But I want you to know that you're seen, you're known, you're heard, you have value, you are worthy of connection and belonging. There are people who see you. Commit to doing your best. Do your best from the inside out. Be a person of integrity and character and just stay consistent. Um, and just don't quit. Just don't quit. I really believe that your best days are ahead. If you're walking through a circumstance with a difficult boss, just be consistent. Show up. Be a person of excellence. Don't take it personally. Please manage your expectations and handle your life in a professional way. Life has a way of working itself out. And uh, character and integrity will eventually rise to the surface. You are not overlooked. In fact, I feel like there's actually someone here listening uh, to our conversation today, Tina, who is feeling like she specifically, I feel like it is a woman uh, who shows up every day and the diligence and excellence with which you work is unseen. And you feel like you have been uh, just receiving the pile on of more administrative tasks. And you're saying today, I'm, I'm made for more than this. Why doesn't anyone see the deep gift? And I want to say to you, stay consistent because your gift of detail, your gift of administration is in fact not to be relegated to copying and spreadsheeting, but in fact, you will be seen. Keep your head down and do what's right. I feel like actually the promotion's coming to this person, Tina, and someone's going to begin to recognize the gift that, that you have, my friend, and uh, going to help you be a strategic partner to help steer the vision of, uh, of a leader. So I just hope that's okay to say, but I just wanted to encourage a listener. I really feel strongly that there's someone listening right now that that specifically applies to, but, um, 
there's no better day than today to just continue to become the best version of yourself. So yeah, that helps. That's powerful, Chris. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being on the call today. You are absolutely amazing. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.